If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the ra- realities that unify us are already there. Christ praying for unity. What should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when he, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. As always. Yeah, and uh, we're also here with an uh, old college friend of mine, another one, not Kelly this time. This time we're here with Niles Merritt, who hopefully you're all very familiar with. He interacts a lot with our Facebook and um, is part of our think tank, so you've heard some of his opinions before. You'll get to hear a lot more of them today, hopefully. Um, he has <laughs> – I don't even know how to uh, announce him. You know, he uh, He's an associate chaplain. With uh, Steve Lankflos. Uh he attends a PCA church. He's mostly Reformed Baptist. We'll get into his beliefs and what part of the church he's in. But a uh, awesome church leader, uh, great dad too. If you hear his kids in the background, it's just because you know he doesn't like to be apart from his kids. Okay. <laughs> but uh, before we jump into today's stuff, uh, we want to talk about uh, just some of what our audience has been up to. Um, uh, Jacob Stone, for our mundane Monday, I just want to let you know that I'm still a little bit offended by this. Uh, This Monday, we asked, what is a show that you don't find interesting? Did he say The Office? No, Jacob said Golden Girls. Mm. Austin said The Office. But I just was so unnecessarily offended. It's not like it's my favorite show or anything, but I just don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't get it, Jacob. But uh, that being said, we're going to jump into today's silly question. And uh, Niles, me and TJ will go first, give you time to think about it. All right. Today's silly question is, if you were battling a dragon and you were just had the ability to change its fire-breathing you know, power to breathing any kind of sweet, which sweet would you choose? And uh, I'll, I'll go first if, if TJ doesn't object. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I thought about this since we started recording, so for about two minutes. And um, I think I'm going to go with cotton candy. It seems like that would be the the least harmful thing that I could have breathing out at me. Yeah, and if it's unspun, then it would be pretty dangerous. But, you know, it's just hot sugar. But anyway. yeah. All right. Yes. So, so TJ. So, uh, I thought about this. I really don't think there's a good answer. It's it's all going to be bad, but I think I would choose meringue, like a nice meringue, because, you know, you didn't say candy, you just said sweet, and meringue is sweet. Yeah, which, yeah, I don't think cotton candy, is cotton candy yeah. a candy? I mean, yes. it has candy in the name, but. Yes, it's candy. Okay. But I'm going to choose like meringue. I'm still good. It's nice and soft. It's still probably going to kill me, but, you know, <laughs> not okay. really way around that. All right. Uh, Niles, uh, you're battling a dragon. You can change its fire breathing to sweets breathing. Which sweet do you let it breathe? 
do you have? All right, well, first of all, thank you so much for letting me be on the show. Um, no, thank you. Second, sorry about the uh, children in the background, but no, they're noisy and I have kids. So, uh, <laughs> That's character. Yeah. So I have to say, Josh, you, uh, you took my answer, cotton candy. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> I also think it would be really awesome to see a dragon breathing cotton candy. In yeah, just visual colors. effects. Yeah, it would be a really cool visual. And so my second answer would be molasses because mm. I think that would be really fun to see. And also I could get out of the way really easy because it would be, I mean, slow as molasses, you know, so it would be yeah. poor dragon. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hate to get off topic, but you said molasses. I just want everyone to know there was oh. a huge molasses factory accident that killed a whole bunch of people like a hundred something years ago. Just, you know, look up those things. You'll see it. Molasses is wildly dangerous, but in this case, probably not so much. Anyway. I, I really thought you were going to talk about the potatoes and molasses. No, so. no. Okay. But anyway, to get into the real show, uh, so we found one of the most helpful things in maintaining church unity is to hear one another's stories. Uh, Niles, would you mind sharing with us the ele elevator pitch version of your testimony? I don't mind at all. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a deacon in the church, and eventually he became a pastor. Um, and so while I was growing up, uh, I heard all about Jesus. I was baptized uh, really young. I want to say I was between the ages of six and seven. I'm not sure the exact day, but uh, I do remember going to my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Glenn, and uh, he prayed with me and uh, I accepted Jesus when I was in first or second grade. And then the following Sunday, I was baptized. And so uh, since then, I, I feel like I've continued to grow spiritually, um, but also had a lot of areas of struggle along the way. And so in my high school days, I remember thinking about uh, some of my friends going out and partying and, and me thinking, oh, man, if only I wasn't a Christian, uh, then I could go <laughs> have fun with all these these other people. And uh, and so that's that's really not a good place to be going into college. And so I went into college uh, with, with kind of that mentality. And it was... Uh, as, as Tom Harkis called it, I, I had a lot of freshman foolishness and made a lot of really <laughs> dumb mistakes and dumb choices. Um, but I, I can see looking back, the, the Holy Spirit calling me back to him, uh, even though I made a, a bunch of mistakes. Um, I really uh, objectified women and fell into yeah. some pornography uh, pretty heavily in my late high school years and early college. Uh, and then... Uh, yeah, just fell into the wrong crowd. I, I played soccer and was hanging out with all the soccer guys, wanted to be just like them, do what they yeah, did. That and, is the wrong uh, crowd. <laughs> <soccer's> <laughs> the wrong crowd. Yeah. Uh, nah, it's those hockey guys you got to worry about. Um, uh, probably <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I ended up just doing whatever they did and, and really uh, probably even more extreme stuff because I wanted to fit in, you know, and if you want to fit in, you end up doing things that you would normally do. Um, but I transferred schools, went to UNCW and got plugged into Crossway, which is the mm -hmm. church that I met Josh at and uh, really met a, a great group of guys who were 
very committed uh, to personal holiness and to the Lord and uh, just being honest with each other. And I think that was a big turning point for me because uh, there were these like-minded guys that were my age who were just open about confessing sin to one another and really, truly repentant and holding one another accountable. And uh, I wouldn't say that I hadn't been at a church like that before, but I just personally have, had never experienced that. And so uh, that was huge for me. And so uh, I ended up meeting my wife at UNCW and uh, remember having uh, gone through some premarital counseling and just the the anger that she had for how I had objectified women in the past and uh, how I had really thought about women and, and pornography and everything and her anger at that. And we didn't even know each other uh, when, uh-huh. when all that was going on. And before we got married, it was one of the uh, – um, my, my, my pastor wanted me to make sure that I, I wasn't struggling with that anymore. And I think that's a really great uh, requirement uh-huh. for marriage. Uh, and so I, I can say that with the Lord's help, I had really um, conquered uh, any kind of porn addiction or anything like that uh, before getting married and before getting engaged. Um, and so praise, praise God for that and his, uh, his redemption in, in my life for that. Um, but yeah, so my wife was just, just furious with me. Uh, and I remember thinking, okay, my wife is a, a fallen sinful human being and she hates my sin this much. How much more does God hate my sin? Because as we know from scripture, sin is against God. And so that was really a, a turning point for me and my own personal uh, walk with God that he hates my sin that much. And yet, uh, he still, while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for me. And so that was, that was a moment for me where it was, it was real for me before, but it was even more real, just realizing the weight of my sin, but also the forgiveness that he gave me. And so, uh, since then I've continued to grow and, uh, learn more about him and his forgiveness and uh, just continue to try to to walk in that newness of life that he's given me uh, without being weighed down by my past and uh, looking forward to the hope that we have with him in the future. Amen. Amen. You know, it's really really interesting to me because, uh, as we said, I met you at Crossway when I went to UNCW. Yeah. And it's funny because, not funny, funny, but... I remember when, by the time I had got around to getting plugged into Crossway, it, it seemed, it felt to me like you, our friend Matt and our friend Brian were like, you know, they, they were the big guys, like the pillars of our group. And I was like, yeah, y'all are such godly people. And I was like, man, just to kind of hear the story of what got you there. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's, that's not that different from my story. I, I want to believe that a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, struggles with pornography is pretty prevalent. And uh, I wanted to ask you before we moved on, would you say that while you were struggling with pornography, you were still saved, you were just struggling, or would you say you kind of got saved again? Yeah, so I've I've thought about that, but really I can see uh, the Spirit working in my life all throughout that whole period. Even though I was sinning against God, um, I can still see uh, some, some really, I guess, godly fruit of ministry and uh, just God still using me to 
reach people and invite people to church and uh, just using me for the kingdom, despite me, you know, I mean, God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. And so I would say <laughs> uh, yeah. that that salvation that I had when I was six or seven, uh, I'd say that was real. And that that carried through all the way into my high school years and into college. And uh, the Lord never let go of me. Uh, he he used me in spite of me. Again, I know this isn't what we were planning on talking about. It's just one of those I really believe people need to hear more about this. Um, and this will be the last question for you on this topic. But um, when with your struggle with pornography, would was it like a there was one day that you prayed and then the next day God was like, "Wow, you just don't have this desire anymore," or was it more of like a you had to wrestle with God and God had to really work on you? Which was it like? You you know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, yeah. So I remember. I think I was really young when uh, when I was exposed to the idea of masturbation, and I remember thinking about it and praying to God uh, to to save me from my own sexual desires, my own sexual urges, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And years later, I just numbed myself to that, and uh, numbed yourself to the conviction. Yeah, so I numbed myself to even to the point where I was thinking, well, is it really that bad? I mean, I'm not as bad as the person down the hall or I'm not as bad as so-and-so or it, it can't be that bad. Right. And so I started excusing my sin. Um, and to the point where I, I didn't even think that it was possible to, to not sin that way. And so eventually though, I think, when I was at Crossway, I realized the power of confessing sin to others. Um, we had what, what they called life transformation groups. We shortened it down to mm -hmm. LTG. And that was huge for me because it was other Christians sharing their struggles, confessing sin to one another and praying for one another that we could be healed, just like the book of James talks about. And so we were confessing sin and praying and, uh, the, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so I think hiding that sin in the dark instead of exposing it to the light uh, can really make people feel powerless. And so yeah. it's, it's all about Christ and his power. And if we pray for one another, if we confess that sin to one another and we hold each other accountable, uh, I think that's when the victory of Christ comes through because it's all about him and all about uh, him yeah. answering that prayer for us. And so I, I would say to people who are struggling with masturbation and pornography in their lives to not hide it in the dark, but to find someone that you can confess that to, um, someone who is uh, going to hold you accountable and not just shrug it off and really uh, pray for one another yeah. for healing in that. And I think that's, that's what delivered me um, was just being around a, a group of really solid Christian guys who they weren't perfect. Uh, but, but we were committed to the Lord and committed to following him. Yeah. Which, um, man, I have a whole spiel about that. Uh, I, I want to double affirm that for everybody that, um, what he's talking about, uh, church is community. And when we talk about church unity, the first place it starts with is in those kind of small groups. I remember in Crossway, what he's talking about, 
we had groups of, you know, Anglicans. Uh, we had a Catholic that hung out with us all the time who was part of Crossway. We had me. I was super Pentecostal still at that point. I mean, I'm still really Pentecostal, just probably a little bit more Pentecostal then. Um, but but it was a very diverse group. But we were united by just the kind of thing that he's talking about there. And I even remember I was only, um, you know, I spent some time around Crossway, but I wasn't around them all the time until uh, our friend Brian convinced me to move in with them for, I want to say it was my junior year of college. Because my sophomore year, I was living with these frat guys that I just kind of got stuck with somehow out of like random selection. And he was like, hey, uh, you don't have to deal with that. You just come live with us. And then um, they had those life group meetings in the apartment that we were, me, him, and one other guy were sharing. And I was like, well, I'm here. So I might as well be a part of it. And it, uh, it was. It was a huge blessing. I'm really glad you brought that up. And I want to encourage any other church leaders who's listening to this. Do your best to start something like that. It's absolutely worth it. Um. Now that ran aside. <laughs> we no mentioned problem. it earlier. Uh Niles, you you've been you were trained with Crossway for ministry, which is non-denominational. You said you lean more toward Reformed Baptist theology. You're currently a member of a PCA church. You're an assistant chaplain with a uh, Anglican priest Steve Lanclos. Um sorry, it's Lanclos. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I remember he told me how to pronounce it the other day I was talking to him. But uh <laughs> You you have a lot of experience with a lot of different church leaders and different types of churches. Um, what can you tell us about these, like some of the biggest differences and similarities? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Oh, no, that's a huge question. Yeah, a, it is It is a big question. Um, so I think maybe the best way to answer that would just be to, to share just kind of my journey through all these different groups and denominations. Uh, so, yeah, let's just pick up where we left off. Um, at Crossway, uh, I really got plugged in there, got married at that church, um, went through some training, and uh, they called it the Pastors Institute. Really loved it, enjoyed every minute of it, and was super on fire. Um, but I was having some financial trouble, not in like a debt kind of way, but more like the economy wasn't doing well, and I couldn't find a good job to save my life because. I graduated with an English and creative writing degree and I wanted to be a publisher. And I mean, you know how great the newspaper business is doing right now. <laughs> Everybody's reading newspapers. Um, so e-books, e nobody reads e-books, right? I mean, think of, I mean, you like the office. Think about Michael Scott and that one scene <laughs> where he says, paper is the future, write that down. And everybody <laughs> types it out on their computers. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it was, it was just really rough. For me to try to find a job um, that paid well enough to provide for a family, which is what I wanted. And so uh, while I was going through this this Pastors Institute program, I was doing all kinds of odd jobs, uh, working for FedEx as a contracted driver, uh, working for another company as a driver, uh, started my own coffee shop, tried phone sales, selling uh, employee of the month plaques. I mean, that sounds like a joke, but no. Uh, and I was really bad at that, actually. Nice. They let me go because I'm not <laughs> no. a good salesman. Well, um, at least you're honest but yeah, about so it. I, I, uh, I worked all these, these odd jobs and really was looking for a way to provide for a family and mm -hmm. could not find that. And so uh, at that time, my, my coffee cart was not doing well. And uh, I went to my father-in-law's retirement from the Coast Guard. And I went 
And all these other Coasties were just telling me how great the Coast Guard is and saying, oh, man, you'll have a steady paycheck. You won't have to worry about insurance. You might not get paid a lot, but you get paid uh, regularly and you don't have to worry about it and you can provide for a family. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds great. Pension, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Benefits, that sounds wonderful. I hadn't been to the dentist in years. And so I was like, dental? Oh, yes, that <laughs> sounds that sounds great. And so I uh, I enlisted in the Coast Guard. And so my plan going into the Coast Guard was to be a, a bivocational church planter. And I wanted to be active duty. And every new station that I would be at, their stations were typically like four to five year billets. And so every new billet, I wanted to try to plant a church. And uh, looking back on that now, I realized that was incredibly ambitious. But having been all hyped up going through the Pastors Institute, I was ready. I was ready to take on the world. Hey, everyone. We just want to take a quick break to let you know all the many ways that you could support the Whole Church Podcast. Hey, on... hey Josh, that's going to take too long. No, okay. Well, could you list all the ways that you can think of for mm-hmm. them to support us in 10 seconds or less? Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Support us on Patreon. Our cash app is in the show notes. Subscribe to the newsletter and rate the episode. All right. Yeah, that, that sounds and good And share to the episode. I guess we should let them get back to it then. Mm-hmm. All right. Y'all enjoy. And uh, then I went to my first unit and things with my health weren't going so well. Um, I ended up uh, getting, getting pretty sick uh, with what I, what I now know is ulcerative colitis. Um, and so uh, if, if you know anything about ulcerative colitis, it's kind of like Crohn's, um, except it's really restricted to your uh, large intestine. It really just, paused all of my plans. My, my whole career just got, uh, completely sidelined. My, my plans to plant churches were completely sidelined because I had no idea how long, uh, this pause in my career would last. And so I, I wasn't able to get, uh, any kind of orders for a new billet and didn't know when I would be getting orders. And so I ended up not planting any churches. And that was, uh, that was four and a half years ago, just about. Um, yeah. And so, uh, while I was on the ship, my wife was looking around for churches and she found, uh, a church of God in the area that she was attending. Cause that's where her parents went. And uh, Josh, are you, are you part of the church of God? Is that where you go? We're a church of God of prophecy. Almost. Church of God of prophecy. Very okay. related. Gotcha. But pretty anyway, much the same thing. So she went to, uh, she went to that church and it's, uh, it's the local mega church. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the contemporary videos um, th- that kind of talk about this church is contemporary and relevant. We call it contemporary, mm. and so it's uh, just kind of that <laughs> whole uh, yeah. The guy up on stage has the tattoos and talks about how you too can come to know Jesus, and then they sing the songs, and it's it's just the really modern like Hillsong kind of uh, mega church atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so just just imagine that. Um, yeah, that's not, uh, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but it's just <laughs> very different from other other types of churches like, that are more. Well, it's funny. It's, uh, yeah, it's, ahead, it's funny though. We're um, that's pretty much the biggest difference now <laughs> is an actual like practical stuff. Like uh, a lot of your church of God will have those kind of churches, whereas most of our churches are small and you still wear a suit and tie and it's very formal and stuff still. 
we're a lot more old school, basically. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's really funny because it's the same stuff, just presented wildly different. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, she went to that church while I was on the ship. And I had been a couple of times with her parents when we were visiting them, when we were still engaged and early on in marriage. And so I knew the church and uh, a little bit and had heard the pastor talk. And he was a, he's a great speaker, uh, really dynamic, uh, really engaging. Um, but she ended up not staying at that church. Uh, she, she messaged me while I was uh, underway and said, hey, uh, the pastor's wife is preaching this next Sunday. And I thought, okay, that's, that's different. Uh, and so, and I, I don't believe that uh, women should preach in church from what Paul talks about in scripture. Uh, and so for us, that's a, a biblical conviction. I know maybe not all of your listeners would agree with me on that. Uh, we had a couple episodes early on about that. Oh yeah. 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 And so that was, that was one thing. And then, and then they also mentioned uh, something about uh, LGBT and that was kind of a, a, a red flag for Samantha. I can't remember exactly what they had said, uh, but it was it was basically that they wouldn't affirm biblical marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, oh, they were more open to different interpretations, uh, and so uh, that was that was another red flag for us, just just doctrinally of what we believe Scripture teaches and how we should read Scripture as uh, literal. And, and not try to say, oh, well, that was the past and this is the present. Things have changed. Yeah. Um, um, and so, sorry, yeah. Real quick, was... just, just to clarify for people, uh, the Church mm-hmm. of God itself doesn't necessarily believe that. Uh, the Church of God believes it's okay to have women pastors. They don't believe anything about allowing LGBT, whatever. That might have been that church. But uh, right. as a and whole, so it's, it's not like that. Their official statement was, because we're a part of the Church of God, we have to say this. And then uh, they... Okay. They kind smart. of left it open and, well, and we're smart, like, you know. we want to affirm, but because we're a part of the Church of God, we really can't affirm. Um, but yeah. the, the general idea behind it was that they were affirming, even though they were a part of Church of God and were kind of pushing against the Church okay, of God that's, uh, in that. Some so, leadership problem, too, for me. You know, you got to yeah. respect those above you. Anyway. Yeah. So that's that was that was one of the reasons we left there and i really wasn't attending i was on the ship but after samantha found a different church um we started going to a church of christ and uh the church of christ we were there for about two years and at this point i was off the ship they put me on a med hold uh and i was able to go to church with samantha every sunday even though i was still working in portsmouth and had duty overnight and things like that um but so, yeah, I worked in Portsmouth, Virginia, but live in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And so it was about an hour commute, which isn't too bad. But uh, the ship that I was on was out of Portsmouth, Virginia, and Samantha's family lives in Elizabeth City. So it just made sense for us to stay here because we thought I would be on the ship the whole time. Um, but anyway, back to the Church of Christ. We we went there for about two years, put our membership in, um, really loved the people there. There were a lot of really great leaders. Uh, the associate pastor there, he would uh, give you the clothes off his back. He was such a great guy. You could <laughs> give him a phone call at two yeah. in the morning and he'd be over trying to help. He was just such a great guy. Um, one of the things that we, we realized early on about uh, Church of Christ, uh, they believe um, 
differently on baptism than a Baptist in that they believe that uh, baptism, uh, I wouldn't say they would say it's necessary for salvation, although some of them might, uh, but they believe that you have to be immersed, baptized, uh, really in order to be saved. Um, but they, I think they would hold exceptions to that. I remember talking to the pastor and he said, well, God's hands aren't tied. And so if someone is in their car on the way to be baptized and gets hit by a truck, he said, God's hands aren't tied, but really you have to be baptized to be saved kind of thing. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. But despite that difference, we, uh, we still attended there. Um, and I mean, the, the pastor preached the word, uh, every Sunday. Um, and yeah, yeah so I'm not church of Christ in my denomination, but I was still able to have fellowship with them and, uh, really enjoyed being a part of that community. Um, but we ended up leaving the church of Christ after a couple of years, uh, not because of anything theologically, although their, their views on baptism being different from our views on baptism, I'm sure were part of the equation, but really it had to do with ecclesiology. Um, just how, how the church service worked on a Sunday morning and, and what their focus seemed to be on. Uh, they had building campaigns and wanted to make a bigger, better building and facility to have more people, which I think is, is fine. But, uh, I, at that time I was really thinking through what is church? And you mentioned it already. Church is people, right? Church is community. It's, uh, it's not a building. It's, it's the people. And so, if church is the community and not the building, I wanted to be somewhere that was really focused less on a building campaign and more on, um, more on being missional in the community, which I'm not, I'm not saying that the church of Christ wasn't, they definitely were. Um, but it was just, just a matter of who is church for is, is the church, uh, for inviting people who don't know Jesus and packing a building out, so you can evangelize or is the church God's people coming together to worship him? And so that's what I mean when I say it's the difference in ecclesiology is what is, what is the Sunday morning worship for? Uh, and so if, if the primary focus of another church is evangelism, that's awesome. Uh, but I would say that's not the, the central mission of, of coming together for a Sunday morning service. Uh, if that makes sense. Right. So really, most of the big differences were in the way they prioritized things in the church. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would say it, it wasn't necessarily a, a doctrinal reason that we left, but more of, yeah. How, how are we going to have Sunday morning service? Is it, is it going to be geared toward non-believers or is it going to be geared toward believers? Uh, is it going to be, um, really digging into the word deeply and edifying believers? Or is it going to be um, as appealing to non-believers as possible in the Sunday morning service? Right. Perfect. So those are those are two different ideas. Yeah, and so I'm not saying one is wrong. I'm just saying uh, one one aligns more with what I think church should be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if um, if the church Sunday morning is not the time for evangelism, when is? So I don't think uh, evangelism should be the job of the paid staff. Right. I mean, we, we think about some of our churches today, at least in the United States, uh, we invite our friends to church so the pastor can share the gospel with them. 
But really, if we are the church, then evangelism is my job. Evangelism is your job. It's not the full paid time staff's job. Man, Their that'll job preach. Quick, the believers to go out and do evangelism. So it's it's a difference in uh, come and see versus go and be. And I think those are are two different ideas. And I'm not saying that the the come and see model is wrong, uh, but I think the go and be model is more effective because instead of having one or two evangelists who are paid full-time staff, now you have 40, 50, 100 evangelists who are going out into the community and are able to do a lot more than one or two paid full-time staff. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we ended up going to a PCA church after that. And uh, the preaching style uh, was really similar to Crossway with the reformed-ish that I grew up or didn't grow up in, but uh, went to Crossway for several years in. Right. And yeah. uh, I, it just was really great uh, Christ-centered preaching, uh, all about equipping the, the saints to go out and be missional. Uh, they have community groups. It was it seems more like home to me than any of the other churches that we've been at. Um, not to say that the other churches were, were not as good or didn't have the same community. Like I said, the, the, the Church of Christ community was really great. Um, but the, uh, the PCA church right now, it just, it just feels, it just feels right, I guess. Um, yeah. there's, of course, the, the differences in, in Calvinism and, uh, we get on discussions about pedo baptism and things <laughs> like that. Because uh, yes. I'm, I'm definitely some fun discussions. Yeah, definitely baptistic. Uh, so anyway, uh, at at that point in time, right around that same time, we went to uh, this PCA church. Uh, I become a chaplain's assistant down in North Carolina, and I'm loving it because I don't have to make that hour drive, and I get <laughs> to do great work uh, at the chapel. I had uh, become good friends with the chaplain up in Virginia. And he, he was talking about how he was having to drive back and forth from Virginia to North Carolina because there was going to be a gap in the billet for several months. And he wasn't looking forward to it. And I said, well, hey, I live down in uh, North Carolina. I'd be happy to sit at the chapel and uh, be a chaplain's assistant. And so uh, it's, nice. you, you called me the uh, – I think you called me an associate chaplain earlier. Uh, I'm, I'm not a chaplain in, in the same way that uh, Dwight Schrute is not the – uh, assistant regional manager. He's the assistant to the, the manager, right. right? So I'm I'm the assistant to the chaplain. I'm I'm the Dwight Shrew of of the chaplain. But uh, anyway, nice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not not really a, a chaplain. Yeah. I'm just the assistant. But okay, I awesome. really love working there. Um, the chaplain that I made friends with up in Virginia, uh, he's LCMS uh, Lutheran, and so he had a lot of perspective. Uh, that he was able wow. to share with me. And then uh, after several months, uh, the chaplain that came to Elizabeth City, uh, Stephen Longflow, he is ACNA Anglican. And so once he got there, we had some some really great discussions. Uh, and then a friend of mine, Aaron, from the PCA church, he would come over occasionally. And uh, Aaron's also part of the uh, the whole church think tank as well. Right. And uh, so we, we discussed differences uh, that we all have mainly concerning baptism. Uh, and so me coming from a, a Baptistic background, uh, Aaron being part of the PCA, and uh, I call them chaps, but Chapel Longflow, <laughs> uh, being uh, ACNA, uh, all have three different viewpoints 
on baptism. Uh, and so even though the Presbyterians and the Anglicans both believe in paedo-baptism, they believe that it's for two different purposes, right? And so that really got me thinking, okay, what is, what is baptism for? What does baptism do? And that really helped me, uh, that focusing on that question and thinking through it, what does baptism do? Uh, really helped me think through, uh, really kind of church unity in that. Uh, and so if, if baptism doesn't do anything, then, then what's the point, right? It ha- there has to be some purpose yeah. to it. And so thinking through, okay, what, what does it do? Uh, Chaps being an Anglican believes in an objective grace that's given, uh, to anyone who's baptized. And I'm not there with him on that, <laughs> uh, in, in the objective grace given in the sense that, uh, I think there should be a, a subjective faith that each person has, uh, when they're baptized. Uh, but, but baptism still yeah. does something. So even if it's not objective grace, uh, then there has to be something else that's, that's accomplished through it. And so uh, what I came to realize is that baptism is an initiation into the body of Christ. And if, if we're baptized, then we are part of the body of Christ. And so when Chaps says baptism now saves you, uh, because that's what Peter says, but Chaps loves to, to point that verse out to me because he talks about the objective grace given in baptism. He says, see, it's right there, objective grace, baptism now saves you. I can say, okay, let's, let's take a step back. Maybe it's not objective grace, uh, given it in baptism, but we can still say baptism is the initiation into the body of Christ. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you are saved. And so in that sense, yes, baptism now saves you. That's exactly what Peter says. Even though I disagree with chaps on the objectiveness of yeah. the grace given, uh, I can still agree with Peter and baptism now saves you. Uh, yeah. Almost a semantic argument at that point. Yeah. And I think a lot Almost. of the differences that, that, uh, that we have between PCA and ACNA and LCMS, uh, Lutheran, Anglican, Presbyterian, uh, they come down to semantics and really caricatures. Right. We can we can caricature each other and say, well, you believe you believe that, that there's this magic water that you get put in and uh, it's baptism and it saves you. And it's it's all about the water that saves. And so you say baptism <laughs> yeah. saves and it's really a caricature. It's not really what he believes because he would say, no, it's not about the water. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's it's not about uh, this yeah. water. We that all like to exaggerate what the other people believe. To make ours sound better. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And so you've got the, the Presbyterians who are uh, Calvinist, and they're saying Arminians are, uh, what was it, the, is it Pelagian? Yeah, that's what they like to say. That's not Yeah, true. so they'll yeah. say Arminians are Pelagian, and then you've got the Arminians over there saying, well, Calvinists are all fatalists. And so both of those are caricatures, and, and they have a lot more in common than, than they think they do, uh, especially having both come out of uh, the Reformation in really similar ways, but we, we pit each other against ourselves and uh, like to throw stones and caricature each other. And so I think one of, one thing that we can ask each other uh, for church unity is what do you mean by that? And so me and Chaps have had lots of great discussions where we'll bring up these, these theological terms and rather than just say, no, that's wrong. We have to say, okay, what do you mean by that? Because I might mean something different than he means when he says something. So we, we talked about uh, uh, words like liturgy and means of grace 
and sacrament. And we have to say, okay, what do you mean by sacrament? What do I mean by sacrament? <laughs> and we have to yeah. unpack all the baggage that comes with some of those words and say, okay, am I just being anti-papist when I say that uh, pastors shouldn't wear collars? Or am I, do I have a legitimate reason to think pastors shouldn't wear collars? That kind of thing, you know? So it's, it's really, really important to not caricature each other uh, in, in looking for that church unity and to really say, okay, what do you mean? And, and listen and be humble and uh, be willing to learn. And I think I've come a long way in that. Um, not to say my, my theological views have changed uh, in the past couple of years, but really I've, I've been exposed to a church that is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Uh, and I feel like I've, I've grown a lot in learning, hey, I have, I have allies and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are part of these other denominations. Uh, and, and I had just thought, oh, well, all Episcopalians must be non-biblical. <laughs> all Lutherans must be non-biblical uh, because all of this stuff is happening yeah. in these, these big denominations. And I'm realizing, no, there, there are very faithful brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who, who are part of the, the ACNA and part of the LCMS. And, and uh, yeah, just, just realizing that uh, I don't have a, a monopoly on, <laughs> on biblical truth and, and uh, just knowing what is, I've realized that the church is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, just, just for people who are wondering what he's talking about with Pelagius and Pelagianism, um, episode 44, we talk about it. We talk about what that means. Just check it out. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope people li really listen to that story. Um, what he's talking about, his experience with these different churches that speaks a lot. Just, Hearing other, uh, I forget who's, who's, you know, they coin saying it, but, uh, it's a, yeah, you learn from your own mistakes, but it's a lot better to learn from other people's mistakes. So, you know, it's, it's better to learn from other people's experience. So I really hope you guys really heard what he had to say there with his story and pick up some of the experience so that you can build on it. Right. So, you know, with that being said, you've talked a lot about some of these things already, but we wanted to get into our speed round. Uh, right. Just like to ask a few questions. The only rule is that you have to answer it in a sentence or less. And we are not allowed to ask follow-up questions. If you want to skip it, you can just say skip it. But, you know, I think you'll do all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, Sounds like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Are you ready? Sure. Let's go. All right. Question one. Uh, what is your view on the Trinity? My view on the Trinity, uh, the Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, the Spirit is the Spirit. They are all one God in three persons. All right. Amen. How do you view scripture and tradition? Uh, so scripture is the authoritative word of God in the 66 canonical books, and tradition can be very helpful in looking at how Christians of the past have interpreted scripture. Uh, but tradition is not on the same level as scripture. Um, do you believe in predestination? Paul wrote about predestination. And so uh, my answer is yes. But I think there are 
are a lot of different answers about what that means, and I cannot explain that in one sentence. That's right. Uh, what are your beliefs on baby baptism? So I am baptistic, and I believe that a person should make a profession of faith uh, because baptism is being initiated into the body of Christ. And so if a person doesn't believe in Jesus, then they are not part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your beliefs on drinking alcohol? Uh, so I believe Jesus drank wine and Paul encouraged Timothy to drink wine. Uh, there are a bunch of scriptures in the Old Testament about how uh, wine brings joy to people's souls and that God gave them drink uh, for them to be merry. Uh, and so I, I would say that to be drunk is sinful, but just drinking wine uh, is is good for you. Right. Uh, do you believe in a one-time act of sanctification or continual sanctification? Uh, so sanctification, uh, yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> we were sanctified when Christ died on the cross and rose again, and, and we are included in that uh, resurrection when we put our faith in him and believe in him. And so that sanctified us in, in the past. We are being sanctified now as we walk in the Spirit and are being conformed into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And then in the future, we will be sanctified uh, when we are finally uh, with God in eternity in the New Jerusalem. All right. How many of the seven sacraments do you follow, if any? All right. So seven sacraments. Um, uh, we have them here if you want us to list them. Yes. So I, I, uh, I would say I, I follow two uh ordinances um, and you can call them sacraments if you want uh, but I, I would say that the, the two ordinances that I follow uh, would be baptism and Lord's Supper uh, but that being said the, the other five um, are, are also things that I, I guess I would or would do practice because I'm married so I guess I practice that one and uh, right. I believe in confession and so I guess I practiced that one. Uh, but as, as far as which ones are the ordinances that are higher than the others, I would say it's, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, but I think there are there are potentially more than seven sacraments. I mean, talking about means of grace and the mysteries of God and the ways that he works in salvation. Um, so I, I would say I, I don't hold to seven sacraments, but I, I think there could be many sacraments. But the, the two that I would say stand out from the rest are baptism in the Lord's Supper. Yes. All right. All right. Got a little got a little carried away there on the last sorry, one, sorry but, but you did great for the rest of the speed <laughs> round questions. We never really yeah. expect anyone to get through it all in one sentence. So <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of semicolons. As an English major, I made right. use of semicolons. Yeah. So, yeah. He, yeah. He, he, knew, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. yeah uh, just as an interesting side note, uh, even most of your Orthodox and Catholic believers who uh, follow the seven sacraments, most of them will also say there's a lot more sacraments. These are just kind of the main ones, you know. But that's a different topic for a different day. Uh, we will be talking to Sister Rosa of the Catholic Church and Father Jonathan of the Orthodox Church relatively soon. So maybe we'll ask them. But uh, for you, Niles, um, 
I'm going to kind of just just in a minute or two, because we got to wrap up. This is already a long podcast. (laughs) Sorry about that. I know recently, or I say recently, you know, the last year or so, I got to read a paper you wrote for your MBA on, um, you were talking about measurements for the church, how the church should measure success. I just kind of want to, just in a couple minutes, if you could, are there any measurements that you think help church see whether or not they're achieving the goal of overall unity? The goal of unity? Yeah, I mean, I know you talked about a lot of other measurements in your paper. Is there anything that yeah. they could do to be like, hey, this is how we decide we have succeeded 80% of church unity? I mean, obviously, you know, you can't get that exact, but. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, my paper was about um, measuring success in the church uh, from a business standpoint. And so, uh, most businesses measure success with profits and how they're doing financially, how they're. Uh, how they're helping out their their shareholders or their stakeholders, depending on how you measure that. And so uh, I said, well, looking at other nonprofits and how they measure success, they don't measure based on profits. They measure, measure based on mission performance and how they're doing at accomplishing their mission statement, uh, because it doesn't make sense for a nonprofit or a church to measure based on profits. And yeah. so uh, I would say when it comes to unity, um, if if all the churches have the same mission, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we're all seeking to, to grow in that grace that he's given us and we're all disciples making disciples, then we can use that mission performance uh, success factor to really uh, measure how we're all as churches doing that individually and if we're all doing that individually, then we're going to be more unified um, in the mission, uh, having a common mission, a common goal together, growing closer to God, uh, growing in his grace together is going to make us more unified. And so I would say if we want to be more unified, we need to really focus on growing in grace and making disciples. Um, and so if, if we just focus, OK, how can we be more unified and, and we don't focus on those things, we don't focus on our common mission, our common goal. I think we're going to miss the mark. Amen. Yeah, that's a good one. And um, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime to talk more about measurements for the church because it's an incredibly interesting topic. But, you know, we're, we're kind of at time today. So uh, last thing we like to ask our guests before we wrap up, uh, if you had to give everybody listening just a single practical thing, something that at the end of this podcast they can actually just do it, not, you know, I mean, no, nothing vague, just something that, you know, they can check off, be like, hey, I did that thing. Um, and doing that thing would help maintain church unity. What would that thing be? Hmm. You know, I'm going to say prayer. Uh, I was told that prayer is the most practical thing we can do if we believe that God uh, can intervene in our world and, and answer prayer. Then it has to be the most practical thing. And so, uh, if we stop and take the time to pray, I know I'm really bad about that because uh, <laughs> we have so much time. And, and yet we oftentimes just don't pray. But if we really believe that prayer is the most practical thing we can do, uh, I would say just stop what you're doing and pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Yeah. And um, some of the other stuff you mentioned earlier about joining those small groups and just, you know, praying with other believers and stuff that he did in his story. Maybe I'm okay suggesting people mimic Niles. Just saying. Right. 
Yeah. So the the last thing we like to do before we get to the outro is our God moment segment. You know, we just take a minute to share what God's been up to with us. Uh, you know, whether it be a challenge or a blessing, chance to worship, anything like that. I like to make Josh go first. Uh, you know, don't really have a reason anymore. I just think it's fun. <laughs> uh, my, mine's kind of a challenge and a blessing and pro- probably a few other things. Um, I am making some transitions in my life. Uh, right now, um, I'm about to start a new job and um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to show honor to everyone and doing that, you know, my new job uh, as well as my old job and leaving. And um, there have been some challenges, you know, I'm going to be kind of vague here, guys. Sorry. There have been some challenges with um, how I can best show honor in some situations. And uh, our good friend, Chris Galloway, has given me some good advice and is really helping me out with that. You know, he's been on the podcast a few times. and uh, So, I, you know, I'm challenged on how to show honor the best way, but I'm also blessed and I'm thankful that there's a fellow brother in Christ who is trying to help me out. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, I'll go next. Mine, my God moment is a challenge. Uh, a couple days ago, it's about hockey, surprise, but a couple <laughs> days ago, uh, at a 19-year-old kid playing hockey for a junior league, you know, but, you know, professional junior league uh, mm-hmm. team in Russia, uh, Dynamo St. Petersburg's uh, junior team. Uh, the team captain was hit in the head with a puck. It's just, you know, that's kind of just a thing that happens when you're playing hockey. And uh, it hit him in his carotid artery uh, hard enough to cause a hemorrhage, a brain hemorrhage. And uh, he passed away earlier today. And it, it really puts into perspective that we are not promised tomorrow. It doesn't matter how young and strong you are. Need to cherish the moments you have, and because because nothing is promised, you know this kid yeah. got a you know long promising career ahead of him. Uh, you know his life was taken just like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know obviously prayers to Timur uh, Fizudinov's family. You know, they're going through some tough times, but yeah, yeah that is yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Miles, did you have a God moment to share with us? So you mean just something throughout the week uh, that something, I've learned? or Something, just a blessing, challenge, anything uh, you've experienced with God recently? Yeah, I've been thinking about um, vocation. And uh, it's been difficult because my job had been on hold for so long. I, I did get to uh, re-enlist today. Uh, I made it oh, through nice. the med board. It's been a long process, and my reenlistment was today, and so I was able to do that. Um, but just thinking about vocation, thinking about my job, uh, thinking about trying to be a church planter, thinking about uh, what what am I supposed to be doing, right? And realizing that vocation isn't necessarily what we get paid to do, uh, but it's it's the job that God wants us to do right now, and so. Uh, my most important vocation right now is to my family as a husband and as a father. Uh, and mm-hmm. so even though I want to be a Coast Guardsman who's uh, a bivocational church planter doing great things for God and country, uh, that's not my most important job. My most important job right now is as a husband and as a father to my kids. And so I would say that's yeah. 
something to think about and a challenge. Uh, maybe you are uh, going through something and your job's not working out or you don't feel like you're where you should be, uh, but you're where God wants you to be right now. Yeah. Amen. That's, uh, that's extremely biblical for those of you who don't know. Uh, your first ministry is always your family. Um, so, uh, Niles, uh, where, is there anywhere that people can uh, follow you and hear more from your ministry, or uh, do they have to just keep listening to the whole church podcast and wait for you to be on the Think Tank? Well, uh, so I am not a, a minister yet, I guess. Uh, I do want to be a church planter, and I'm hoping maybe in the next year or so, uh, to start that I'm a community group leader at my local church. And so if you wanted to come sit in on my community group, I, that'd be fine. <laughs> um, I also do ministry with my kids, just teaching them about Jesus and, uh, trying to, uh, as, as Paul says, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm trying to, to mimic Christ to them, mimic Christ to my wife. And, uh, yeah, I'm just just kind of on hold right now with with all of my yeah. my uh, really ambitious goals of bivocational church planting. Yeah. So in other words, uh, just keep listening to whole church podcast till he's back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can have me on as a uh, as a, a joint guest with Francis Chan. Yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> Speaking of which, some future guests for the podcast. Uh, we have re- return guest, doc- return guest, Doctor Keith Sherlin, with his friend. Pastor Brandon Poor, uh, our good friend Ken Hagerman, and Dr. Trimper Longman III, a great man with many accolades. And of course, <laughs> at the end of the season, uh, we will have Francis Chan and maybe Niles Merritt. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, N- Niles knows about it. Francis Chan might not. Yeah. Niles, Niles is formally <laughs> partially invited. Francis yeah. Chan is not yet. Uh, yeah, so, well, yeah. they'll figure it out. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you stuck around until this part, uh, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> you made it. And uh, join us again next week.